Good evening to all my listeners out there, and thank you for tuning in again to another episode of the 2G1C podcast, the not-so-typical sports talk show. Please go and follow the Instagram and Twitter account, 2G1C podcast, all one word. Tell your kids, tell your wives, spread the word. This week's podcast is powered by some type of scotch, maybe some type of whiskey, and I'm sure plenty of other things that will allow your inhibitions to lower. Cheers, boys. Cheers. We're going to change things up a little this week and release the week seven recap and hashtag Sunday superlatives to you listeners Wednesday morning. And then we will release the week eight preview and picks on Thursday morning. This is all in an effort to compensate for the short attention spans of this generation. Damn millennials. Each week before we get into our weekly recap, I give a short ish monologue about something to do with sports, but mostly because I like to hear myself talk. Why else would I make a podcast? Seeing as this month is the crucial catch month, intercepting cancer, I drew some inspiration from a Pittsburgh Steeler running back and his Players' Tribune article, James Conner. In the article, James Conner frequently references the tears he shed over the years, whether it was being upset he couldn't be on the field with his brothers after tearing his MCL at the start of his junior year or simply feeling defeated during his sixth week of chemo treatment. He talks about the day he announced to his teammates that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma and the reaction it created. A a room full of alpha males ducking their heads into their shirts, crying because they knew what their brother was about to endure. Connor also talks about the time Eric Berry called him to give him an idea of what he was about to go through. Shout out Eric Berry, another survivor who came back a year after being diagnosed and had a Pro Bowl season. I'd also like to shout out two people very close to me who are cancer survivors my future wife, Emily King, and my mother, Amy Cup. Bringing this back to the softball, to the football side of things, Connor carried a football signed by all his teammates to every chemo session he had. The point of all this is being that sports, football in this instance, brings people together in a way that no other group activity can. Your teammates become your family. Football also pre- presents the opportunity for a star like Eric Berry to reach out to a college student like James Connor to offer a hand of advice. I know for me personally, sports have created the majority of my friendships that I know will last forever. Sorry for the che- for the tearjerker opening, listeners. But with that being said, my two get my two guests with me this evening fall into that category of brothers created through sports. First, we have a new guest, the softest hands at shortstop I've ever seen, the master of the shapuki, the pride of Italy. And I was actually the officiant of his wedding, my good friend and brother, Paul, a.k.a. Paulie, a.k.a. Pokey Machaka. The other guest we have tonight is a frequenter frequenter here on the 2G1C podcast. He is the one and only host of his future NBA podcast that remains unnamed and also the first person to make driving an 88 town car something to talk about. Another dear friend and brother of mine, Tom Terrell. Yee-yee. I would like to thank you guys for tuning in, and I hope you really enjoy this week's episode. We're about to have one hell of a conversation. This is uh, hot off the press as of yesterday. Amari Cooper has been traded to the Cowboys for a first-round pick, and this move raises a lot of questions. What do we see in Amari Cooper's near and not-so-near future? I see him... um... He's going to be fresh, that's for sure. He just is coming off his bye week with Oakland. And now he's going to be going into another bye week with Dallas. The guy's got two weeks off, but 
Damn, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, this guy, he... um. That'll be a good opportunity for him to catch up on the playbook. Playbook, absolutely. And this acquisition, I think, speaks more about Dak than it does about Amari. They're figuring out whether or not they're going to pay this guy $100 million. And they're, they're trying to eliminate every excuse. He's got a Pro Bowl left tackle. He's got Pro Bowl center, Pro Bowl guard. Great defense, excellent pass rush. The guy needs to be able to throw the ball down the field. They're not sure if he can do that yet. Mark Cooper is going to be, he's going to answer questions. He's going to, he's going to cover their butt. So from what I see from Amari, I see him drawing a lot of doubles. They do not have anyone else who can get separation except for Beasley underneath. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, unfortunately, I don't see the production going up too much. Um, he had weapons in Oakland. He had a, a quarterback that could throw the ball downfield. Um, his targets there were close to nothing. He was he was targeted three times or less in four games. Um, From a first-round pick. That's unacceptable. I, I don't know if that's because he can't get open or he's just not looking at him or the routes are just not there. Um, I, personally, I feel as if that's an indictment of Carr. The yeah, car it, line, very well you look be. at his passing spread chart, Everything is sprayed around within three yards of the line of scrimmage. No quarterback over the past two years has had a lower yards per attempt than Derek Carr. Gruden even came out in week two to admonish the fact that this guy will not throw the ball down the field. Right. And I, and that's that that is true. I the only thing is, I don't see Dak being too much different. And again, yeah. I don't know if, if it's because they don't have the weapons, but I just don't see him taking shots downfield. I, I think he's great in the slot and he's great at running slants. He's great yeah. at dropping passes too. <laughs> so I, I don't, you do have to catch the ball to have production. Um, he, he has 22 catches this year so far. Yeah. And you think, Oh wow, that, that's a down year. Jalen Richard had more. He, he had, he had 48 catches last year. So he's on pace to do what he did last year. It's not that he is going to be better there, I think he is what he is at this point in his career. See, for me, the, the only thing I would really like to, and Paul, I will say, he does love to drop the ball in the last three, over the last three years, coming into this year, he had a 13.62 drop percentage, which was fourth worst in the NFL, behind uh, Torrey Smith, J.J. Nelson, and one other awful receiver. Being Des Bryant. And we'll talk total drops. No receivers over the past two previous seasons had more drops than Des Bryant and one Amari Cooper. And they were big drops. Yeah. With Des Bryant. So they're trading They're trading one set of poor hands out for another. So we will see how that sort of pans out for them uh, right now. But in the near future, it wouldn't be a terrible spot for Amari Cooper to try to develop his talent. He does have a quality young nucleus around him in Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak. So they definitely do have the pieces to be able to build there. Um, so I would like to see what they can they can do with Amari Cooper's services. And now. let's not forget, oh, ye of the butterfly restrictor, Leighton Vander Esch. Yep, yep. I just figured I didn't need to speak about him anymore because I think I have every week so far. Gotta love him. So I will just sort of move on to a question that does get raised after this, this decision to trade Amari Cooper. How do we feel about John Gruden, what, what he specifically is doing in Oakland? And, and this is specifically talking about, you know, he's moved Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper 
He's now also apparently looking to move Carl Joseph. But I have heard, and I believe this is from Adam Schefter, that Derek Carr and Garyon Conley will not be on the market. Yeah, I don't necessarily know what direction he's moving in. I don't know if anyone knows what direction he's moving in. Um, Rooted it, does. It yeah. seems like he has absolutely 100% control of what is going on. Um, however, I I actually like him moving <laughs> Cooper out of town. I love it. I think it was a huge win for them. They got a first, get a first round. Yeah. First that, round that, that is unbelievable. Return on investment. That's yeah. incredible. No, he. I think he has a plan. I see it. It absolutely. is. It, it's a teardown. Yeah. He's yeah. he's ripping it apart. Yeah. And good on him. No one else in the history of the NFL, in the modern NFL, pardon me, has had the type of leverage that he has over a franchise. He has a 10-year contract. Bob Kraft has never given Belichick anything over five. What do you mean? He has the most leverage in sports probably ever. Yeah, arguably. Contract-wise. Arguably. I mean, outside – we'll talk modern sports. We'll look back. We'll say Red Hour back. Or something oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. But the modern era, yeah, people aren't getting those. We'll even look EPL overseas. These guys, you know – Managers who win the title win one of the many ridiculous titles that they have, but they'll win one of them, and they'll be gone next year. Even the, even in the NBA, for Christ's sake, the only person who really has any job security is Pop and Stevens, maybe. For me, the only thing that I really wanted to expand on about John Gruden is I don't necessarily like what he's doing, but I don't hate it by any means. Yeah. Uh, for me, the only detractor I have of it is it really kind of kills morale in the locker room. So any hope you had for this year kind of goes out the fucking window. Yeah. But, you know, m- moving past that, yeah, maybe your team does sort of swallow the fact that this is a rebuild year and next year is going to be that good. They do now have three first-rounders. And maybe he's sort of taking the college coach's approach of wait until you see what my guys can do. And I think that's what he's trying to do with all of these first-round picks is bring his type of guys in. I couldn't agree more. And this seems to be a rudderless ship of a franchise. They don't even have a stadium to play in next year, let yeah. alone a direction to take. I, I the think team. these guys that are on the team now, I don't think they even know what they're buying into uh, yet. I, I don't think there's there's an idea. This year, it, it seems like it's a complete waste. So what do these guys want to play for at this point? I, I think Gruden does have a plan. I think he has – a very good plan with his <laughs> with the upcoming draft that he, that he has set up. Um, it just depends on how those players pan out. And the thing is, is it has been proven that Gruden is not a tremendous evaluator of personnel. So Clearly. one, one yeah. can yeah, one can only hope that Reggie McKenzie still has a little pull within the organization. But then again, only time will tell. Sticking to another question that does stem directly from this. What are some other trades that we would potentially like to see before the October 30th, which is 4 p.m. Eastern time deadline? We'll say Patrick Peterson to the Patriots for a seventh and a ham sandwich. (laughs) Jesus. Otherwise, I mean, it's all in all seriousness. It's Pat Peterson. Where where is he going to go? Arizona said they don't want to trade him, but – he seems to be he's an he's an angry bear. Yeah. He wants to get out of there. I'd want to get out of there too. He's got about three years left of his prime. He's a twenty eight year old cornerback. These guys don't age tremendously well, especially those rely on athleticism as much as Pat does. Yeah, I agree. Um, Peterson needs out. I think they need him out at this point to 
publicly say he wants out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to deal with that in the locker room. It's hard to deal with that on the field. And who's going to guarantee that he gives his, his all every game? Right. Who's to say he's going to try to prevent himself from getting hurt? Absolutely. Yeah, to it, me, that's the number one way to get hurt, though. There's only yeah, one way shit. to play football, man. That's full speed. Too shit. It, it takes everyone's mindset off of every single game. You know, they're they're preparing for the week to, you know, play their upcoming uh, opponent. And he's taking interviews saying that he doesn't want to be here anymore. Um, I definitely could see him going to the Patriots because that would be a very Patriot-like thing to do. They go and grab, you know, players that are unhappy where they are, mm-hmm. creating problems, and then they fit into their scheme. Com- comparable to the Revis move. Right, absolutely. I mean, um, he could bump them up against the camp, and they could do it uh, like the Dodgers, not so much the exact same situation, but what, like they have with Machado this year. Right. Get a free – get a guy – and that would, freelance yeah, and ship him out at the end yep. of the year. And, and that would be a huge pickup for their defense. Their defense, you know, they they look awful so far. They've been able to win games, but they look awful. I, I could also see him going to the Saints. You know, his brother tweeted that he wanted to go to the Saints. I don't know how true that is. But, again, that would be a perfect situation for him going to a team that needs a corner, yeah. a lockdown corner. Badly. The only other thing, because Pat Pete is the the obvious one, but I, I want to, and this is more of a prayer for a for a guy that I enjoy watching, Lorenzo Alexander, who is an older guy for the Buffalo Bills. He's playing at a very high level, and as I said, at a much older age than most people are still doing it. I would love to see him simply get traded to any Super Bowl contender. That's another maybe Patriot type of guy. But that would be in division, so I would see that as very unlikely. I want some of whatever he's on. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I gotta say. Yeah, don't see, hey, man, he's got the clear. He's got that old school Barry Bonds. He has beaten those tests. Shout out Lorenzo Alexander. <laughs> Who peaks at thirty four? That's all I want to know. Shout out your boy. One more, one more flyer quickly. I, I, it's never gonna happen, but I would love to see Fitzgerald get traded. I was going to say God. the same exact thing. Just get him out of there. Get Give him, him one more to shot. A contender. I watched a football life, Larry Fitzgerald, this past week. He is the best person in the NFL. He deserves it more than anyone else to get a Super Bowl. He's a nice man. I really wish Traquan Smith like didn't start stepping up for the Saints and maybe they would have tried to make that move. <laughs> God, just put him on the Pats. Let him get 80 catches yeah, in the slot the pa- over eight games. For the Packers. Oh, my goodness. The Saints. Ooh. Anybody with a halfway decent quarterback, not chosen Rosen. I do, I do like that, though. That would be something I would enjoy seeing if, if the uh, Cardinals just sort of unloaded their guys. Riding the wave of uh, highlighting individuals this year, we got a lot, of, a lot of guys doing some crazy things in the stats as far as Thielen, Gurley, Mahomes. Who is the guy for you, for, for the both of you, that the keep the, they can't keep the camera on him frequently enough? I'm going to say, I mean, it's kind of an easy choice. You said Gurley and Thielen. Thielen, the man out here on a record-setting pace. We'll see if it's sustainable. But Melvin Gordon, absolutely ripping it up. We we did actually talk about Thielen last week and, and the matchups he has coming up. It, it really is very feasible for him to, to continue this pace. Yeah, especially with the weapons around him. Diggs is, I mean, have fun. You got to double one person, and the other guy's going to get open. Feel yeah. free to expand on, on Gordon. Sorry to interrupt no, you, Paul. No worries. I think Gordon's body of work right now is self-explanatory. The guy's, I mean, he's a complete back. It's, it's, 
I don't know if it's an insult or not to call him Todd Gurley light because it seems as if he's almost playing on par with Gurley right now. That's, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield as well as hammer it. That was the one thing that I did I did hear uh, from commentary on, on Sunday morning was that Gurley and Gordon are now really showing why they were taken with the picks that, that, that they were. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, um, you did you did say uh, Mahomes, and I I just can't pick anyone else other than <laughs> Mahomes. Um, That's understandable. I, I'm so jealous. I am a Denver Broncos fan. I'm going to have to deal with this guy for the next ten years. Oh, that is! I never it, thought about it that way. For it's you. going to be absolute heartbreak every single year, multiple times a year. I've never I've never seen anyone that was able to get out of the pocket, throw on the run in any direction. And he just, you can see he doesn't care. He's completely fearless. He throws it across the field. It's going to get him in trouble at times. I I think it got him in big trouble against the Patriots. Uh, He he threw a pick in the end zone right before the half when they could have doubled up, scored a touchdown before the half, and then got the ball back after the half. I, I think that was big. Um, but this guy can do it all, and I don't think I've seen anyone play quarterback like him since so, I've been watching football. So for you, it's actually uh, you wish that they could take the camera off. I wish he was not there, yes, <laughs> but He's I gonna... can't take my eyes off of it, yes. All right, in the Denver Broncos vein, we must pause for a minute off the current thing, and let's talk about one of my favorite players in the league, one, Swag Kelly. News breaking today. Yeah. It was a tough day. Yeah, after Von Miller's got, Halloween got hit, party last night. Got hit by a vacuum. Yeah, he pulled a Ryan Rosillo and was found in a stranger's home at 1 in the morning, yeah, sitting was, on the couch. It was tough. Elway said he's disappointed, as we all are. Um, yeah. I, I thought he could end up in the starting role by the end of the year, by the way everything's going, but... I don't know. He shot himself in the foot. But to me, this is like, this is relatively innocuous. My man's just out there having a good time. He wasn't even peeing on the floor in these people's house. He was sitting on the couch. He was all about the party. Just enjoying himself. He's not hitting ladies. He's not driving drunk. He was walking drunk. I'll take it. He thought he was home. (laughs) (laughs) Threw on the TV, kicked his feet up on the coffee table. And I will actually expand a little bit more on the Broncos. My my guy that I that I really am enjoying watching is is Emmanuel Sanders. Right now he he's doing it for a team that's that isn't the greatest currently, and he's he's gotten a, he kind of has that Booby Miles effect. He, he's uh he's catching it, he's running it, and he can pass. Let him spin. He had a, a throwing touchdown. It was it was last week, correct? Yeah. To Cortland Sutton. Night. To Court, Cortland yeah. Sutton, which I believe that was his first touchdown yeah, of the year. Yeah, great throw. Better was a great throw. Better catch. Yes. Um, and, and the only other guy, Kareem Hunt, is really, when you're on an offense with as many weapons as they have. He's a and he, Yeah, and he still manages to shine. Uh, he had he had a couple great plays on uh, Sunday night, and uh, he's kind of their, their glue guy, in my opinion. And outside of Mahomes staying in the AFC West, if Mahomes wasn't having the season he was having, Philip Rivers would be an MVP front runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's actually we, we'll we'll I, I, at least I will expand on that a little bit in the next section. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to this next question uh, quickly because Terrell, you were on the episode where we first talked about Mahomes after his first weekend. We asked if Alex Smith, uh, or my apologies, if. Patrick Mahomes would end up having as many touchdowns as Alex Smith did last year for the Chiefs, which was a total of 28. (laughs) Um, As you can see now, as we all know, he has 22 currently. 
So the question is, realistically, and, and you don't even necessarily need to expand too much on this, what do you see his final number potentially being? I'm going 39. Weather gets colder, more and more tape. He's not going to maintain this toward pace. He's still going to play well. He's going to throw more picks. He's had a high number of interceptable passes that have not been intercepted. I agree. He's taken a lot of risks. But, Pat, yeah, I'm saying 39. I don't think he crests 40 if he does more power to him. But the Chiefs, um, they tend to slow down offensively as the year moves on. And people get more film on Andy Reid and what he's innovated over every year. Because, I mean, no one's better than changing up what they do year to year than Andy. I think it completely depends on what the other teams are doing in the NFL. If we get to week 12, week 13, and they're sitting at 12 and 1, you know, 13 and 1 by week 14, how much is he going to be playing? Um, if he plays a full season, I think he's going to finish top five ever for a season, um, which is an amazing feat. Um, but when you, when you think of top five ever, you're looking at 46 or more. He's at 22 through seven games. He is right there. I, I think he's he's right on pace to be with top five ever. Um, again, it, it depends on how much he's playing down the stretch and the weather. I mean, are they going to start the ground and pound? I don't think they are because of all the weapons they have on the outside and, and Kelsey running down the seams. I, I think they're going to keep throwing the ball. Yeah, you'd almost be doing yourself an injustice to not to not at least try to throw it. But what did you say your, your total number was? Is Top to five ever, 46 but, or more. 46 or more, okay. Um, I actually had 44 total, and I am only really saying that because of the fact that that means that he essentially stays at the same pace that he is currently. The rest of his The rest of his schedule just doesn't really scare me. The Bron- did, Paul, I know you probably know. How many did he have against the Broncos? Did he throw any against the Broncos? Was it one? I don't know. We held them to 13 points, 14 points through three quarters, and then they came back and he scored. Yeah. So he, he had, I think he had two in the fourth quarter alone. Okay. Yeah. So again, so this is the way I see it is if he averages two a game by the end of the year, if he plays every game, He'll end with 40. So I just see a couple of games where he mixes in an extra handful. So that's why I'm putting it at about 44. Um, so for me, I, I think it's very feasible. But you guys do make some great points against him getting even above the, the 40 mark. A surprising number two in passing touchdowns this year, Andrew Luck at 20. So as a follow-up to that question, thank you for spilling into that. Who is a quarterback that could potentially keep up with Mahomes by the end of the year? Sorry, guys. I get ahead of myself. I apologize. Um, I'm going to go with Andrew Luck. I don't know if you guys knew, but he's second in the league with 20 <laughs> passing touchdowns right now. Sorry, Mup. He's playing well. They're desperate. They can't run the ball. I mean, Naheem Hines? Marlon Mack? Who? This is, yeah, this is what they've put around old Drew? It's, it's a disgrace. I mean, Ryan Grigson should be sent to Somalia and left, be left to fend for himself. Don't forget about my boy Ebron. He scored in all but two weeks of the season. Eric Ebron is Calais Campbell's son <laughs> playing tight end. It is ridiculous. He's, He's such an enormous he man. He's a big, oafy father. Oh, God. 
He's not someone you want to see in a dark alley, I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, so I Andrew Luck, he's he's an obvious pick. Um, he's just trailing him now. They have to throw the ball a lot. They're probably going to be down in a lot of games. It's going to give them an opportunity to put points on the board through the air. Um, but my next pick was going back to Phillip Rivers. Um, he always puts up numbers. He loves throwing the ball to his running backs between Gordon and, and Eckler. He's just dumping it off and letting them go to work in open space. Well, he has great. He has a great group of receivers. He does, too. and they're way under the radar this year. The whole team is. But yeah. uh, if there's anyone that's going to keep up, I, I assume it's going to be those two right now. Looking at the numbers, the only other people that I would throw into the conversation is is potentially Brady. Obviously, I feel like you can't ever count him out. He's him and Gordon are going to start hooking up. And, and that's yeah. yeah my, that was my my point was just going to simply be that the Patriots, you know, they're starting to hit their stride, and, and you know that that's a dangerous offense with with the inclusion of James White. I feel like everybody forgets about him and what he can do with the ball. Mm-hmm. I do have one dark horse. I really hate doing it, and and it's mostly because he's a the redheaded rocket, you know, he, he could potentially be in there. He's got some weapons around him. He has 15 currently. That, that's really my like dark horse. You know, I like to play devil's advocate here on the podcast. Yeah, as long as they don't have any primetime games. Touche, because he is fucking terrible. God, he fucking killed me. He is garbage when the lights are on. Mm. Damn it, that just really ruined my mood. Except for playing the Baltimore Ravens in prime time. I didn't want to say anything. Stop talking. Stop talking. Okay, moving on to the next question, but sticking to individual performances, moving to the sideline. Uh, right now, if you had to choose five coaches in the NFL, who are your best five? I think that the media does a – they overanalyze coaching, and we hear about it all the time. Just coaches are the guys who are there every year. There's such a high turnover rate in the NFL. But so a lot of our picks, I feel like, are going to be pretty obvious. Oh, of course. I, I think there's four that that, that everybody's going to have in here. Out. I think we're all going to be pretty similar in this, and I'll, I'll read mine off quickly. Uh, Bill Belichick, number one, obviously, and then the rest are really a toss-up, I think. But, you know, it's a mix between two and, uh, two and five. Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Sean McVay, Andy Reid, and Sean Payton. Um, I actually have the exact same five. Um, I have Bill Belichick and then the rest. Um, I I do have Andy Reid as my second best coach. Um, and that was actually pretty tough for me to pick. He has an 11 and 13 postseason record, no Super Bowls. It's, it's hard, but looking at the coaches in the NFL, he's been consistent throughout his career. Of course, he had a couple of down years. Um, three, I, I do have Pete Carroll. Um, the fact that they're three and three right now. Tremendous. Is mind-blowing. Yeah, Those you, guys are you, playing you, hard. Yeah, you've spoken about if, that before. If you look at their losses, they have three losses by a combined 12 points right now. Um, they lost to the Broncos on the road by three. Extremely tough place to play. They lost to the Bears on the road by seven. They're a good team this year. They're not. I don't think they're pretenders. I, I really don't. I think they. I think they are a good team. They're pretty creative on the offense, and their defense is is pretty good. Yeah, that's going to be a tough fight in the NFC North. And their third loss is to the Rams by two. I mean, they they are a good team, a yeah. historically good team. The Rams yeah. are this year. Um, and then moving on, I have Sean Payton at four. Um, 
he does have a Super Bowl. He's just very creative. I don't know if that's because of Drew Brees or him or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. They win. Um, and then at five, I have Sean McVay. He's had a short tenure as an NFL coach, and he's been brilliant so far. His offense, his offense looks like nothing I've seen with the route combinations that they run. The ability to move the ball, but the thing is, is they're they're almost a throwback offense. Gurley is the focal point. Yeah, the, the mis the sure. common misconception is that these guys are hurling the ball down the field every time. It's the next it's the next version of the greatest show on turf, and it's not in well over twenty touches a game. a game. He's a stud. He, he is an absolute stud, stud and he's fe- he's feeding him, and he's working with his personnel. Well, you have to. You knew he was a once in a lifetime yeah. talent when he came out of college. But the but the thing is with McVay is his ability to delegate and the, his. Not so much maybe the in-game decision-making that he's making, but the people that he surrounds himself. Wade Phillips is completely autonomous yes. in control of the defense. And this he is, and he is, he has got um, a gentleman who works in the booth upstairs helping him with every sort of clock situation. I think his lack of, not I wouldn't want to say pride, but hubris. His lack, like he that. is able to realize where his strengths and his weaknesses are, and he's able to capitalize on both. Yeah. So I can appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, the thing that really – because McVay was in my – you said you had him at five. Uh, Yeah, I have him at five just because of his his short time. And and honestly, that's probably where if I had to order him because I didn't order mine at all, that's probably where I would have to put McVay. I think we could Um, all, without question, say that double B, Bill Belichick is number one. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, But – for me, the thing that makes McVeigh even better is look at, you know, it, it's that whole on paper thing. On paper, they should be 7-0. and That is the best team in the NFL by far on paper. There isn't a comparable team, and he is managing that. He is dealing with all of those egos. He is dealing with the highest defensive paid player in the NFL behind only Khalil Mack. Correct? Yeah. Okay, he's dealing with Akib Talib, Marcus Peters. Like, those are characters right there. Indomitian Sue. Like, he is managing grown men that don't like to listen to other grown men. Yeah, that dude's name is House of Spears. Yeah, exactly. What? So that's enough to be said about McVeigh again. It's really cool to see a young guy like that sliding in there. The other guy that did sneak into my – Pete Carroll just kind of – Slipped my mind when I was writing it down. I do love me some Pete Carroll, the dad shoes, fly boy. I have Mike Zimmer, actually. I'm really liking what he's doing in, in Minnesota. He's done it since he's been there, really. Granted, he does have a lot of talent. But, I mean, he's turning a, a team that has a – I mean, they are a good defense still. But I do think that the Everson Griffin absence is definitely affecting them much back. more. He's coming back. Breaking news as of about two hours ago. Yeah, it was announced back. that Everson Griffin has gathered his marbles, which were strewn about. He knows where he is yes, now. Yes, he knows where he is. Hot, hot take, motherfuckers. He's no longer jumping in Trey Wayne's house. Okay, so now motherfuckers are screwed, I think. Yeah, because I think that's so. gonna be a, mor- a monster. That's going to be a morale boost. That's a, that's a freaky human. He's a dog. We will go ahead and move move past the uh, top five, but I would like to expand just a a little bit and quickly on the bottom five coaches in the NFL. They don't have to be in any specific order. Uh, and go go ahead. Um, so I, this one, I didn't have it in any specific order. Um, 
I do have Dirk Cutter in there. I think he's terrible. Um, he has a 17 and 21 record, and he has a respectable team on paper. They should be able to compete at a higher level than what they are. Um, I have Vance Joseph as well. I, I am a Denver fan. I do watch every game before the year. I, you know, I, I told friends he's going to cost us a couple games. He's already cost us two. Um, I, it's only going to get worse. I don't know if he makes it the whole year, depending on how the rest of the year goes. Um, I do have Steve Wilkes at Arizona. I don't, I don't know enough about him, but his record tells me enough. I guess his team isn't very good, but he doesn't seem to be very good either. If Denver is blowing you out in primetime television, I think it's a problem. He kind of seems like a wet blanket. Too. Yeah, it's it was, leader of it men. was bad. I mean, you got blown out at home, too. It's a wiener. Um, and then... I, I actually have Hugh Jackson in my list of, of five worst coaches. You felt as if that was a reach ball? <laughs> I've heard some arguments, but he's <laughs> he's eight and eight. He, he was eight and eight in Oakland. Um, he started seven and four, which was a great start. And then they finished the year eight and eight, missed the playoffs. I think he's three thirty-five and one with Cleveland. Um, <laughs> you're you're playing you are playing professional. You know, sports. You, you should be fired. This is a results-based business. You should be able to compete with other professionals, and they have done the complete opposite. Figure it the fuck out. You know, they have yeah. fans at the stadium with bags on their heads. They got it. They got it. They have a rabid fan base. It's, I've and been they to a bunch of Cleveland games. They are great. Fans. They are great fans. That's a great game experience there. Um, so I, I had my four. I got to my fifth. Wasn't really sure who to go with. I actually, um, I actually listed Marvin Lewis. I think he should have been fired a decade ago. Um, looking back at his numbers, he has a career 5-12 winning percentage and has never won a playoff game. Um, the one thing that really jumped out at me was he went 4-12 in 2010 and got an extension after the season. <laughs> yeah. Got an extension well, with Ocho Cinco and T.O. as your two receivers and got an extension after that. Well, Mike Brown is notoriously cheap. Marvin probably took bottom dollar, one could say. Moving on, that's that's your five. That's my five. One omission that I I I will take offense to is you not including Anthony Lynn mm-hmm. for the Chargers. Anthony Lynn is an abomination. I have not seen worse end of game management than anyone. The, the Chargers are winning in spite of this. Goon. Well, I mean, they get really bad in the second half. Yeah, their lack of adjustments that they make, it it's reprehensible. Vance Joseph, how t- I'm going to include him begrudgingly. He seems like a really nice guy, and I don't know. He is in contention with Sean McDermott for being the most swole coach in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, Vance is fucking yoked. I would not uh, call him a bottom five coach to his face. I'll, I'll say that <laughs> much. Um, Hugh, it goes without saying. I'll move past that. Um, and Dirk Cutter, Paul said all that needed to be said. And then Jason Garrett. I mean, Christ the Almighty. The clapper. The clapper. That's for – yeah, that's why he snuck into mine. What does he do? What does he do? He claps. He claps. they call him the clapper. He claps. That team is <laughs> – He is a cheerleader. Extremely talented. They've been running the same exact offense – 
I think uh, Gary Jerry calls it from the box, oh, geez, and he Jerry. claps. He claps his calls. Oh, from Jason the box. is a marionette. He is Jerry's <laughs> puppet. A puppet. Yeah. He is to be played with. Him, that he has the hair. Well, how good of a seventy-five-year-old woman? How good do you feel that he didn't end up in Baltimore? Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious! I mean, I'm no fan of Harbaugh, but I'm pleased. Yeah. Continuing on with the coaches' talk. Uh, there was a puzzling one, at least in my opinion, in the 9.30 a.m. at least in on the East Coast uh, in the Chargers and Titans game. How do we feel about Vrabel's decision to go for two at the end of the game? Last two years, the Titans are 0-7 on two-point conversions. <laughs> Not a great look. I'm not sure what more needs to be said. The thing that. is, with Jeez. all seven of those attempts, Losers. they were all passes. You got a quarterback with some legs. Yeah. You got Derrick Henry, he's 245 pounds, and Deion Lewis, who's the low man. He's slippery. I'm, but they went five wide. I don't really take I don't have as much of an issue with them going for two as the play call. These you set up a play for Taiwan Taylor? <laughs> Corey Davis was a number five overall pick. Yeah. So I mean the statistics speak for themselves. Yeah, so I, I absolutely hated the decision. I <laughs> thought it was a terrible decision. Um, I actually watched a lot of that game. I, I don't know why. Um, I don't know if it's because San Diego is in division, um, and I was hoping to keep up with them a little bit. Um, but I felt like they controlled the game. San Diego looked completely gassed. Um, they were exhausted. I was listening to the radio. They said that kickoff was something like 1.30 a.m. home time for them. 1.30 a.m., which means they're finishing the game around 4.30 a.m. Yeah. I am trying to extend that game as much as I possibly can and just take control yeah. of overtime. That's why, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the thought of putting a team in London is completely asinine. It, yeah. it does not something has to change with to that. a level playing field. Whatsoever, it is it is a complete money grab, and I, I feel, feel like it would be a blemish okay. on the league. No, no. So what I what what I think needs to happen for that to be even feasible is for it to come directly after your buy, so you are able to be over there, yeah, to get fully acclimated to that time zone. The rule, and the rule was still still. I agree that that you are making us. I agree with you, and I'm, that's the only way that it makes it more feasible. And I'm picking up what you're putting down in that regard, and I think the rule would be if you're west of the Mississippi, you must come True. off okay. a bye. Because yeah. if you're, let's say you're Baltimore, you're New York, that's comparable to sure. a yeah. flight to yeah. California. Yeah, sure. It's, it's sure. more fair. Yeah, sure. That's a yeah. more fair situation. However, um, to, to kind of expand on that, I, I thought the play was a little desperate. I, I felt like he just didn't believe in his team. But if you if you watch the replay, um, Tajay Sharp took about two steps off the line of scrimmage, turned around, and was wide open. Wide open. Instead of hitting Tajay Sharp for the two-point conversion, he threw over the linebacker's head, past Tajay Sharp, into coverage, and high. If he takes a one, two-step drop and just throws a straight line dart. Throws a dart. Throws a dart. This is the guy who has nerve damage in his hand. It, and it he's trying to make a touch throw over the linebackers and drop it in when he doesn't have full feeling. I mean, Tajay Sharp turned around. The guy closest to him is about two yards behind him, two, three yards mm-hmm. behind him in the end zone. All he has to do is turn around and catch the ball. Take it to the ground, 
secure it and you're going to win the game. I think he just completely missed him. Yeah. Or he just went into that play and said, this is who I'm throwing to. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a holding call, and this was the second two-point conversion. Yeah, it, it was. And so it was, it was from the one-yard line, yeah. yes. not the two. Yeah. And you Which still go first. five wide yep. and attempt to throw the ball. Yeah, I'm running some sort of RPO. So uh, I'm putting him under center and sneaking it. Too shit. Yeah, or giving it to two hundred forty-five pound Derrick Henry. It was not. It was not yeah. technically from the one. It would have technically been from the one and a half. So you're not necessarily. It's not. It's not the same sneak as from the one. That's all I'm. I that's agree. the only thing that I'm saying yeah. about the one and a half. Yeah, I that agree. makes a sneak a little bit different. And he's not your six foot six. Seven, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand. So like Four said, and a half. Just makes it a little bit different. Three. Yeah, it, it just makes a little bit of a difference. Um, so. Uh, as as a podcast, I always like to give a little bit of fantasy relevance to all of the listeners. And as a group, each one of us will give you guys a home run at wide receiver for the hashtag Sunday superlatives. But right now, I want to highlight some guys that may really be holding back your fantasy teams. We will start with the tight end. And uh, who is a guy you are targeting in free agency as a spot start or possibly even someone you would like to trade for as your starter for the rest of the year. Well, seeing as Coleman has Gronk and O.J. Howard on his team, I've been throwing <laughs> him offers for weeks and I'm still not getting any traction. I don't know if he checks it or not, but as a spot start. Coleman, you did say you were going to tune in every week, so now yeah. we're actually speaking about you. <laughs> you have 36 hours to respond. Otherwise, Or I will come to your home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> spot start. Ricky Seals-Jones has been taking up a big portion of targets from Josh Rosen. It doesn't hasn't necessarily consistently translated to completions, but the tight end market is so extremely thin that we're out here reaching, boys. Yeah. Um, Eric Ebron is ranked number three in my fantasy league. The cookie monster. That is incredible to me that Eric Ebron is ranked number three. That's who's, he's number three in mine. Yeah. I, it, the, the tight end position – you're not winning or losing weeks in fantasy by tight end, most likely, because it is so poor for fantasy points. It's barren. It's it's unbelievable. This is like outside of top eight, it's it's a it's a poor group. But from a fundamental question, what do you guys think? Is it a lack of talent at the position, or is it a shift in scheme or a combination of both? What do you think, Bob? I, I think I mean I think it's really much, much more a Three wide receiver schemes are, are the thing to do now. Yeah. And you'll keep your you're much more willing to keep your tight end in as a six blocker or not have a tight end at all and go four wide. Because it's one of those things you can use your tight end to chip on all of these very athletic edge rushers, which is only going to benefit your team. And then all you're going to get at from your tight ends is your pop-out routes that are going to be in the flat. So I mean, outside of your guys that can really get down the seam. It, you're you're seeing it, it much more frequently as the three wide receiver sets. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think the change in the way the defense has to play has a lot to do with this. I think that your tight ends that are productive are the guys that can run. Mm-hmm. Um, Get down the seam. Yeah, exactly. The, the guys that can't run. So, for example, I have Kyle Rudolph and I have Austin. I have both Kyle Rudolph and Austin Hooper on my on my roster. They're both top 10, I think. They're both top 10, and their numbers are still kind of sorry for fantasy. Um, but I think the fact that you you can't touch these guys downfield 
it gives those quarterbacks confidence to throw the ball downfield instead of using their safety net over and over again. Not only that, they're using their their uh, running backs out of the backfield so much more than what they used to. They're just dumping off to running backs who can create huge problems in space rather than just dumping it off and falling down. And I think a great point that you snuck in there was the fact that you can't touch these guys going down the field or going over the middle. So the value of a big body going across the middle who necessarily wouldn't be afraid has really dissipated. Yeah. It looks like anybody. Speed kills now. Uh, It always has, but speed kills. Even more so when you're not allowed to tee off on these guys. I I would only expand on the the tight ends a little bit and say that uh, Trey Burton might be a guy that you want to trade for. You know, you might not have to give too, too much up for him. And he's really, uh, he's headed in the right direction off of his best week of the year. And Joku is also a guy that that's streaming in the right direction because Baker absolutely loves him. Moving on to another position that I know has been very iffy for a lot of people. I've seen about more negative fantasy points from defenses than I think I've ever seen in fantasy football on a week by week basis. What is a team that you'd start potentially this week specifically as a spot start? And I know, Paul, you can start this one because I know you're sort of taking this approach with your fantasy team. Yeah, I, I pretty much go week to week um, picking up a defense on waivers. Um, it's been working so far for me. Uh, this past week, I picked up the Colts and they got me 16 points. You yeah, know, 30, 37 to 5 was that final? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's week by week. Play the matchup. Um who has an offense that stinks? Who has an offense that turns the ball over? That's who you need to, to find in free agency or, or the waiver wire. Um, this week, the Pats against the Bills. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but in my league, the Pats are free. They give up a ton of points. People don't want all those points put up on their team. But they do force turnovers. They do score points. Uh, they had a punt block for a touchdown this past week. They had two interceptions. Um, Cornell Patterson running that. Exactly. And they're playing the Bills. I mean, if you can get a matchup where you're playing against the Bills and Derek Anderson, take full advantage right now. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to very, very quickly expand on what Paul had said. The philosophy should be see who's playing the Cardinals, see who's playing the Bills. Pick them up, run with it. The only expansion I really have for that um, is the if the Redskins are at all available, which for some reason in my fantasy football league they are, so fuck all you guys. I'm going to outbid you. (laughs) Uh, They're playing the Giants this week who have been a very so-so offense. So if they are available, that's definitely a, a streaming in the right direction pick. We will give you one sneak peek at a sort of a team recap uh, from week seven. And I would like to just quickly review how do we feel about this Chiefs Bengals game? Who does it say more about the Chiefs or the Bengals? To me, it's an indictment of the Bengals. We know who the Chiefs are. Um, the Bengals have been one of the bigger pretenders, I think, thus far during the season. Andy Dalton has never proven that he can play big and play big in big moments. So personally, I think the Chiefs are who we thought they were. In the words of Dennis Green, 
May he rest in peace. <laughs> I think it showed. I think it showed a lot about Kansas City. Um, the fact that everyone came into this game thinking it was going to be an absolute shootout. You know, it's going to be a showdown. Who can score the most points? And they completely shut down the Bengals' offense. Um, that that said a lot. Although it was at home and it was against Marvin Lewis, so I I kind of in my head think. They both are who they who I think they are. I think since he's a little overrated, and I I think Kansas City has an awesome offense. That's really kind of what it was for me. <clears throat> I said that I think the Bengals are a pretender. I was actually showing Terrell that as as he was saying the point. They've given up 203 points, which is third most in the NFL, most in the AFC. Granted, they did just give up a ton to the Chiefs in, uh, in that last game, but, you know, everybody's got to play them. So I, I just don't have any faith in them ever. It's a redhead behind center. It's never pointing you in the right direction. I'd like a quarterback with a soul. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, that'll really wrap up our Week 7 recap. I hope you guys were able to take some uh, fantasy advice from us and uh, enjoyed the conversation. As we do each and every week, we will present our hashtag Sunday Superlatives. This is our opportunity to point out some guys making plays that you may not have seen otherwise. It is all, it is also an opportunity to point out some fly-ass shoes or a dope-ass suit. And last but not least, we'll hopefully provide you with something to take into your upcoming week's fantasy football matchup. We will start with the best throw, and mine actually came just last night on Monday night. It was Matt Ryan's 47-yard touchdown to Marvin Hall. Uh, I feel like most people didn't actually end up seeing that throw because nobody watched the game because it was kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Did come down through the last play, though. Matt Ryan, great throw. You really – I mean, you really let that one fly and hit him right in, in stride. Was he was great, great mic'd up. He was, on the mic. he was good to listen to mic'd yeah, up. Yeah. That was about the best uh, part of the game last night. <laughs> to be honest, it was complete garbage. I was watching the Lakers. I was hearing him talk about the game. Yeah. Uh, put Booker in the booth. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Enough of the cart. My best throw of the week was Kirk Cousins to Adam Thielen. I like the throw because, I mean, it was obvious. That was a field throw. Kirk took that ball, took two steps back, and threw that yeah. off a of pure field. That was a, it was a deal for dime. It's as simple as that. So my best throw – um, it was actually Emmanuel Sanders to Cortland Sutton. Um, he actually put it in an area where the receiver could catch the ball, unlike Keith Keenum. Uh, <laughs> yeah, un- unlike Keenum uh, against Kansas City on the it's last Sanders drive more of the throws. game. Sanders, QB1, <laughs> it, dropping dimes, putting it on the money, do your <laughs> dance, let's go party. The next Matt Saracen. moving on to the best catch i had it was just fucking incredible honestly joe mixon made a one-handed catch on the right side of the field and honestly i think it was only like a three or a four yard gain but he just reached up and grabbed it like it there was just no effort to it he just made it look like that was how he catches the ball every mm. single time. It was super smooth. It was a strong, snatch. Yeah, just strong ass man hands. The type of hands that one would use to strike a young lady <laughs> before he's even played a game in Norman, Oklahoma. Ask him about my hands. People don't forget 
Joe. <laughs> My catch of the week was a combination that everyone predicted before the season. Cody Kessler to TJ Yeldon. <laughs> TJ Yeldon's one-handed grab in the end zone off an unnecessarily hard Trent Dilfer throw from Cody Kessler. <laughs> Five yards away. He snatched it out of the air, took a tumble. Good catch. That's why like, I, I wanted to be able to point that out as my best throw, and I just couldn't bring, as a former <laughs> quarterback, bring myself to be like, yeah, that was a good throw because it was fucking terrible. It was a rock shot for no reason. <laughs> no reason. Uh, my best catch, Hopkins, uh, going down the left sideline, Ramsey's in coverage, the ultimate talker, mano e mano, goes up one hand, snags it, doesn't even go down, catches his balance, and then – Steps out of bounds. Yeah. That was beautiful. Next, we will do the best overall play. I actually have two quick ones. First is Kareem Hunt's relentless 21-yard run on the right side of the field. When I was watching the game, I thought he had fumbled at one point. And then the next thing I know, he's hurtling over someone to get the team down to the five-yard line. It was just truly an impressive play. The other one is, is a shout-out for the, for the homeboy Robinson. He was here watching the game, and we saw Kevin White make a 54-yard catch on the last play of the game where he really uh, sort of just little boyed mossed him, you know, whatever you want to call it, with about four or five guys around yeah. and just about got them to overtime. And, and, not, and not to mention, I say it is the best overall play, and that's because Trubisky scrambled on that play and got hit while he was throwing and still managed to get the ball to the, to the goal line. Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't get tagged in the arm, that, that, that ball's in the end zone. We don't know if Kevin White's going to be there. It's going to have to roll the dice at that point. Too but sure. I will say it's great to see Kevin White making plays out on the field. The guy has had yeah. just a terrible roll of dice to yeah, start his career. It's great to see him on the field. And playing. Yeah. Yeah, healthy playing. And earning his paycheck. He's in a there. uniform. He's he's there. Because he was a dude at West Virginia his yeah. senior year. I mean, he dominated. Oh, he's a monster. He was incredible. Yeah. So and we don't ever know if he's going to have the burners quite like he did. But it's good to see him playing again. We'll stay in the same vein with the Bears. My best overall play of the week is going to be Mitchell Trubisky's scramble. Unbelievable. The guy has wheels. The guy is a tremendous athlete. We saw him overthrow about 10 or 12 balls. <laughs> yeah, and under I did not say he's a tremendous quarterback. That guy is a tremendous <laughs> athlete. That run, I mean, Paul threw the stat at me earlier. I was impressed by the run to begin with, but I didn't know that he ran. 75, 77 yards? I think it was 71 yards. 71 yards total yeah. on an eight-yard run. Yeah, for eight total yards. He's got wheels. He made all those other fast guys look not, not so, so fast. fast. Yeah, I uh, I agreed 100%. We had a conversation about this before we went on, and it was it was unreal. We, we both agreed. I can't go anywhere else with this. Moving on to a, a thing that we always like to highlight because they don't always get the shine. Best defensive play, this is staying in the same game. Jonathan Jones had an interception of Mitch Trubisky, uh, unfortunately, on a very underthrown ball. He had, I think it was Anthony Miller, damn near wide open, absolutely toasted Jonathan Jones, and he made a great play to catch up to it recovery-wise and made a one-handed catch. It was, it was a great play. Um, I am going to stay in the same game, different interception, a guy named J.C. Jackson. Don't know him. Never heard of him. Um, he made a big play. He, he, The receiver went downfield. Trubisky rolled out to the right, went towards the sideline, almost passed the line of scrimmage. He, uh, he stayed with the receiver as he was coming back to the ball. 
swiped at the ball, missed the ball, and then was able to catch it with his other hand, take it to the ground, and not lose control for an interception. It was completely lucky, but a great play. Sounds similar to Josh Gordon. Shout out, Frodo. Hey. My top defensive play of the week is John Johnson, number 43 of the St. Louis, of St. Louis Rams. Man, grew up with them. The <laughs> L.A. Rams. By the way, you owe push-ups. Greatest they show they on that, turf. They do that on NFL Live. Anytime someone says St. Louis, you have to do 10 push-ups, so you'll do that after the podcast. Shit. <laughs> John Johnson had a strip pick, which is an incredible play. Jumped the route. Receiver still called it. He rolls into the guy, catches the ball, comes up with it. It was a tremendous play on his part. I am always appreciative of plays, and I know that even with 10 times the athletic ability that I was born with, I would never be able to make it. And that guy made that play. So good on, good on John. <laughs> Moving on to something that, that I always like to point out, something that might get overshadowed because, uh, you know, they like to focus on the actual game. But, you know, I like I like a nice fit. I like to dress nice. So we'll, we'll talk about the best pregame outfits since a lot of the, the players do like to dress very nice. I have a couple. Start with Cam and what he described as the Drip Chronicles <laughs> in a fly tan blazer drip. with green, what I believe was wool vest and matching pants. His hat was also matching, look, looked great. Uh, Tom Brady had a classic slim fit. Slim fit gray suit, looking dapper as always. He can't really go wrong. Last but not least would be Christian Kirksey. He was wearing a purple and blue plaid suit with matching blue tie and brown shoes. It was just a real clean-looking suit. So I am actually going to go with Demarius Thomas. Um, He was just well-dressed. He looked as if he was going into an interview. I have to assume it's for his next team. I think he's (laughs) on his way out. I think he knows he's on his way out. It's sad. I, I loved him while he was here, but I, I think they're about to part ways. Way to go out on a high note. Yeah, and congrats to his mama for getting out of prison. <laughs> um, good to see her out. Demarius taking care of out, taking mama. care of the lady. Yeah, she, she was like a drug kingpin. I don't know if everybody knew that. Big time. Big time. She was running the show, her and G-Ma. <laughs> My pick is um, – more of a statement than a pick. It's an ode to an American classic film called American Gangster. <clears throat> the loudest man in the room is the weakest man in the room. True. I appreciate an understated fit. Something clean. Something simple. Why did Frank Lucas go to jail? They picked him out of the crowd for that ostentatious, ridiculous Mink fur coat. coat that he was wearing. Mink. Fur. Mink. Mink. Thank you, Andrew. So I'll take Tom Brady. Clean, <laughs> simple, casual. Just be just dress nice. Let your words do the talking. What a gentleman. Not the clothing. Last but not least, we always like to provide you a little bit of fantasy advice uh, outside of just the recap. And we're going to give you the fantasy receiver most likely to succeed in week eight outside of the premier guys. For me, it was Cortland Sutton against the Chiefs, uh, somewhat porous secondary. They've had a couple of good games, but I see Cortland Sutton be able to create some uh, mismatches. I see Tyler Boyd. Um, I, I don't even know if he's not an elite guy anymore. I'm not sure he's putting up big numbers, um, but I like playing those guys that have a down week. 
and then go into a weak defense. Sounds bad. Um, I'm ignoring the parameters of Andrew's uh, question that he posed and just staying on the Adam Thielen train. He's killing the game, boys, and he's killing it for my fantasy team. He's keeping me in contention. I can live with that. I can live with that because that means that'll put him at nine, eight straight. Eight straight? I think eight. Eight Eight straight, straight, which I'm really pulling for. Again, uh, as always, I really appreciate everybody tuning in to this evening's podcast. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, 2G1C Podcast, all one word. Hope you enjoyed it. Got some fantasy advantages and hope you tune in next week.